Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we continued our look at Prosecutor Thomas Binger's cross-examination of the defendant, including a sidebar hearing discussing a defense motion for a mistrial. On today's episode, we look at the second part of that sidebar hearing and then continue our review of the prosecution's cross of Rittenhouse. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Our last episode culminated in a sidebar hearing where Judge Bruce Schrader reprimanded Prosecutor Thomas Binger and expressed sympathy for the defense argument that the prosecutor willfully tried to introduce evidence that the judge had previously deemed inadmissible as part of an effort to induce a mistrial. While the judge expressed that he was taking that motion under advisement, he concluded by saying to Binger, When you say that that you were acting in good faith, I don't believe that, okay? Let's proceed. Everybody in good faith. We begin this episode as the newly chastised prosecutor seeks to raise one more issue with Judge Schrader before the jury returns. I do have another um, item that I want to raise before the jury comes in and raise it with you. Um, There was another ex motion with regard to the defendant being at Pudgy's Bar after a court appearance in January in which he poses for selfies wearing a shirt that says, free as fuck. I would like to ask the defendant if he posed for selfies after a court appearance with members of the public wearing that shirt. I do not intend to talk about who those people were, what groups they were affiliated with, or anything along those lines, but I believe that it is relevant when the defendant goes to a bar after a court appearance and poses for selfies wearing a shirt like that. I think it is relevant some of the issues that have come up in this case. For example, is remorse or lack of remorse, is uh, utter disregard for human life. Uh, those are things that I think it comes into play because I think that behavior is not consistent with someone who has a regard for human life. The jury's already watched him break down on the stand with emotion. I'd like to probe how heartfelt and sincere these emotions are when you go to a bar and you pose for selfies with people. When you're out on the bond in a first-degree intentional homicide trial wearing a free-as-fuck shirt. Corey responds for the defense. First of all, you've made a ruling on it, and it was clear prior to him testifying. So part of this is, would we have raised it? Would we have brought it up if we, if we would have known that it was going to be coming in? We have done not. There's been nothing to open this door, Judge. Nothing that has been said to open the door about what happened four months after this is relevant in any way to what happened that evening. That is part of what the court had ruled. Judge Schrader responds with bewilderment. Uh, I'm struggling with why it would be relevant 
to any of the issues in this case. Um, you know, if, if you, he were on trial for using exquisitely bad judgment, if he were on trial for behaving in a very offensive way, uh, then I could see the purpose. But an incident that occurred four months after the incidents in question, I don't see how that jury can work with that in reaching any conclusions about the issues in this case. First of all, Your Honor, we have introduced evidence that the defendant had a, a slogan on this TikTok page, bro, I'm just trying to be famous. This case has made him famous, and he's posing for selfies as a result. One of our theories of this case is that his behavior that night was intended to gain attention, to be famous, and he's reaped the benefits of that. Second of all, he is on trial, in, in my opinion, for exquisitely poor decision-making. Taking a gun that he's not legally entitled to have, coming down in violation of curfew, running around the community with that gun, trying to be a police officer when he's not, uh, confronting protesters that he knows are hostile, and uh, all of those behaviors, I think, are exquisitely bad judgment. So the jury can make that decision. The jury can give what weight they want to this evidence, but it's, the, it's moments after he has a court appearance here. He's on, out on bond on, in this case when he decides to do this behavior, and nobody made him do it. Nobody forced him to go to the bar. Nobody forced him to wear the shirt. Nobody forced him to pose for selfies. It's his own decision making. And when I, I, you know, when I tried, when I, when I made reference to exquisitely poor judgment, I was talking about at the incident when he was wearing the shirt. Because uh, you look, uh, everybody uh, in, in all of humanity, at one time or another, displays bad judgment. Sometimes exquisitely bad judgment. And we don't let it into people's trials on unrelated matters. I've ruled before it's not admissible, and I have heard nothing to change my mind about that. After the jury returns, Prosecutor Binger continues his cross-examination of Kyle Rittenhouse. We're going to let the questioning play, largely uninterrupted, with only mild editing for clarity and concision. You testified earlier that there were times that evening when uh, Mr. Rosenbaum had threatened you. Is that right? Yes. And you described him as wearing a red shirt with a blue bandana. Is that correct? At, at certain times. Yeah. When he threatened you, that's what he was wearing? Uh, I believe the first time he threatened me, he was wearing a red shirt with the blue bandana. The second time, he had it wrapped around his face. Had what wrapped around his face? His, his T-shirt. So he wasn't wearing a shirt the second time around? Correct. And. You indicated at one point you thought he had a chain in his hand? I believe he so. When he uh, made the threat to you with the red shirt on and the blue bandana, did he have the chain in his hand? I think one of the times he did. Okay, so which of the times was it? I can't recall off the top of my head. I'm, I think it was the time when he was threatening to cut people's hearts out. Yeah, I don't need to know the threat, I just need to know which time it was. Was it the first time or the second time? Second time, I, I, the second time. What was he wearing the second time? Uh, he, he was masked, well, the shirt wrapped around his face. And he didn't have the, he didn't have a shirt on his torso? Correct. And you could see 
when he didn't have a shirt on his torso that he didn't have any gun tucked in his waistband, correct? I wasn't paying attention to that. I was I was behind Joanne Fiedler. I was somewhere over there. So how far away were you from Mr. Rosenbaum when he made the second threat? By 15, 10, 15 feet, I'm, I'm not really certain. But you were close enough to hear the words out of his mouth? Yes. And you took that as a threat to you personally? I took the first one where he said, if I catch you alone, I'm going to kill you. I took that as a threat to me personally. The second time, I took that as a threat to the group. Can we have that uh, photo, uh, Exhibit 138, up on the screen, please? Do you see Mr. Rosenbaum in this picture? I do. And he's in the middle of the picture wearing the red shirt with the blue bandana carrying the plastic bag, correct? Yes. Is that the way he looked when he made the first threat to you? When he said, if I catch you alone, yes. And he was carrying that plastic bag with him when he made that threat too, correct? Correct. How close was he when he made that first threat to you? Close. I couldn't give you an exact estimate, but he was cl close, less than five feet. So closer than Madam Port Reporter is to you now? I'd say about the same, if not a little bit closer. And you were next to Mr. Balch when that was said? Correct. Was anyone else there besides you, Mr. Balch, and Mr. Rosenbaum? I believe there were other uh, demonstrators um, around. And you've seen in this trial that there's been a lot of video footage of that night, correct? Yes. And you've seen in this trial that there's a lot of video footage of you that night, correct? Yes. You'd agree with me that there's no video of either one of these threats, correct? I don't know if somebody filmed it um, that I'm aware of right now. You're not aware of any, are you? I'm not. And did you say he was carrying the chain when he made the first threat or the second one? The second. Okay. And he was still carrying that plastic bag the second time? Yes. That plastic bag has a, has a clear side to it that allows you to see inside of it, right? Sort of. I didn't really look into the bag. So you didn't know what was in the bag at all? I didn't. Did he swing the chain at you when he made the second threat? He did not. Did he... Uh, physically touch you when he made the second threat? No, he didn't. In fact, that entire evening, he never once touched you, your body, did he? he? He grabbed my gun when he attacked me. And that's why I asked the question the way I did. He never touched your body that night, correct? He didn't touch me physically. Okay. And the, neither the first or the second time did he run at you or charge at you or anything like that, did he? He didn't chase me. He didn't even do anything physically aggressive to you, did he? No. He just said some words? Yes. And that chain that he had in his hand, he never did anything to physically threaten you with that chain, correct? Yes. Is that correct? That's correct. And other than the chain that you've described, at no point in the evening did you ever see Joseph Rosenbaum with any other type of weapon, correct? Not that I saw. Never saw him with a gun? Correct. Never saw him with a knife? Correct. Never saw him with a bat? Correct. Never saw him with a club? Correct. How far apart in time were these two threats that you say Mr. Rosenbaum made to you? I want to say, I, I can't give you an, a definite time. I wasn't looking at my clock, but I, I'd say within the same hour. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Prosecutor Binger moves on to ask Kyle Rittenhouse about his encounter with Joseph Rosenbaum just before Rosenbaum started to chase him. Did you remember what Mr. Rosenbaum had said to you later on when he's confronting you at the 63rd Street car source? I took a mental picture of his face. Um, when he threat when he said those threats, I recognized that was him that said that when he started chasing me. So when you are running away from him at the 63rd car- Street car source, you're thinking to yourself, this is the guy who had made a threat to me earlier. The reason I asked Mr. Rosen, or Mr. Rittenhouse is, how did you know it was the same guy when he's changed the way he looks? His appearance, the shorts, his height. But in both of those instances that you've described, he's got something covering his face, either the blue bandana in one instance or the red shirt in a different instance, correct? He was wearing the red shirt when he chased me around his head. So you remember that this is the same guy? Yes. You indicated in response to one of your attorney's questions that there was no friction with the protesters that night. Did I understand you correctly? By friction, you mean? Well, I'm using your words, sir. I I heard you say in response to your attorney's question that there was no friction with the protesters that night. Did I hear you correctly? Uh, yes. And you're describing what you observed when you were at the 59th Street car source. Fair enough? Yes. So based on your several hours at that location, it seemed to you as though the crowd of however you want to describe them, they've been called rioters, protesters, demonstrators, and you, things were fine. No tension, no friction, no nothing. Fair to say? for the most part, other than Mr. Rosenbaum. Prosecutor Binger then plays a now familiar clip from the alternative news broadcast, The Rundown Live, that captures a dumpster fire in the middle of Sheridan Road. While we never clearly see the defendant in the video clip, we do see two of his associates that evening, including Ryan Balch, venture into the street. We hear one of the protesters shout, how's it going? And Balch's associate responds, you wanna fuck around and find out? We then hear a couple of the protesters chant back, you won't do it, and protect your property, not the street. We've heard much of this audio before, so we are going to go directly to Binger's questioning of Rittenhouse about it. Do you think that looks like friction? A little bit. And you witnessed that, didn't you? I didn't witness what Mr. Uh, Collette did. I didn't see that. But you saw the reaction from the crowd, right? Yeah, a little bit. I wasn't really paying much attention to that. Would you agree with me that it seems that the crowd was reacting to members of your group going out in the street and trying to interfere with what was going on off your property? 
I don't think they were happy about it. Um, Binger next plays the now familiar clip of the defendant lying to Richie McGinnis about being an EMT. Again, we are going to skip over the video and go straight to the questioning. McGinnis just asked you, so you're a certified EMT, and you said yes, correct? Yes. That was a lie, correct? I'm not an EMT. You're not a certified EMT. You're not an EMT of any kind. You weren't on that night, correct? Yes. So you lied to him, correct? I told him I was. I told him I was an EMT, but I wasn't. And you knew you were being interviewed by someone in the media when you told that lie, didn't you? Yes. Binger next calls attention to the fact that Rittenhouse wandered beyond his original mission when the threat to the car source had passed. Fair to say that after the police pushed everybody south of 60th, you never saw any people threatening that property, correct? I didn't see anybody. And your goal that night, you took it upon yourself to protect the 59th Street property, correct? The owners asked, asked. Sure. But you were going to station yourself at that property to try and protect it from damage. Fair? The car source locations, yes. And once the police had pushed everybody south of that, there was no more danger. At that car source location, yes. Okay. So why not go home at that point? Because um, I still... The police were still pushing people back and then they were backing up and I was still helping people provide medical first aid. So you went out in the crowd, like we see in this video, looking for anyone who needed your help. If somebody asked that they, if somebody said they need help, I would have helped them. So why go with Ryan Mulch? Because you're, you're safer and better in Paris when there's somebody else that's also with you. So when you crossed 60th, you were worried about your safety? A little bit. Even though you think this is not a hostile crowd and you're there to help them, you were still worried about your safety. That's why you needed Balch to back you up, right? I said I didn't think they were hostile towards me. I didn't say that they weren't a hostile crowd. So let me rephrase my question. That's to take that into account. You didn't think this was a crowd that was hostile to you personally, and you thought you were going to help them, but yet you also felt you needed a backup, an armed former army infantryman to protect you. Fair? Yes. Binger then zeroes in on the call that the defendant received from Dominic Black, alerting him to the fires at the 63rd Street car source lot and prompting him to secure a fire extinguisher and run from the ultimate gas station to that lot. How long was your phone call with Dominic Black? About 30 seconds. Okay, so before that, you'd been looking for Ryan Balch? Before that, I tried to get back to the um, car source lot number one. And you'd also been looking for Ryan Balch? Looking, yeah, seeing if I could see him in the crowd of people. Because you wanted a partner, a buddy, to protect you. To protect each other, yes. And in fact, when you borrowed that fire extinguisher, you asked someone in that group to come along with you, right? Yes. Because you wanted someone there to protect you when you go down and put out what you think are some fires, right? Yes. Because you know that you're running into a crowd that is not friendly 
to you, right? No. That's why you had to say the word friendly, 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 because you knew this was a crowd that would not see you as friendly, correct? I screamed friendly, friendly, friendly because somebody screamed burn inside. I'm talking about when you cross 60th. You yelled at them. At that time, yes. But and no one in the crowd is yelling burn inside or anything along those lines, are they? Not at that time. And you also wanted someone from that group to come along with you when you're going to go down and put out a fire because you knew full well that anyone running around like you putting fires out is going to cause a reaction in the crowd, a hostile reaction, correct? I didn't think it would cause a negative reaction. I wanted somebody to come with me because you're better in pairs, and I thought there were other people at that car source before I got there. Binger then replays the Coriolaja video of Rittenhouse running across the screen with the fire extinguisher in his hand. So you, in this video, are running. Yes. You run across the screen. Yes? Yes. And then I think you testified on direct that as you made it down the block, you, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you, you, you stopped running and you, you walked for a little while. Is that right? I jogged and walked occasionally. Carrying the fire extinguisher and your gun. Yes. And you're alone at that point with no backup, right? Yes. And you testified that when you got down to the 63rd Street car source, you indicated that you came upon that vehicle we've been calling the Duramax. You know what vehicle I'm talking about? I do. And you indicated that when you got there, you walked around that vehicle and you saw a person that you now know to be Joshua Zeminski. Is that right? I, I walked up to the Duramax. Yes. You didn't know Joshua Zeminski's name at that point, correct? No. You hadn't taken any notice of him at all up until that moment, all night long. Fair? Fair. This is the first time that you see that this is a person that comes to your attention. Fair? Yes. And you said he had a gun in his hand. Yes. And you put the fire extinguisher down on the ground. I, I dropped the fire extinguisher. And then you hear or see Mr. Rosenbaum coming from behind you? I, when I get to the Duramax, I step forward and then Mr. Zeminski turns towards me and he steps towards me. I drop the fire extinguisher, step back. And that's when I see, I, I, I go to run back towards 59th Street. And Mr. Rosenbaum is coming. And then I, that's when I noticed Mr. Rosenbaum running at me, leaving me with no other, right? Mr. Zeminski in front of me with the gun. Mrs. Zeminski right there, um, a couple feet away, and then some other people I, there. And then the chase happens. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yes. Have you told us everything that you did when that situation just happened at the Duramax. Yes. Binger next tries to reintroduce the drone video capturing the defendant's deadly encounter with Joseph Rosenbaum. Mr. Rittenhouse, this is a video that has been admitted into evidence as exhibit number 73. 
This is a video taken by a drone that was hovering south of 63rd uh, at the time that you shot Mr. Uh, Rosenbaum. We're going to play the beginning of this video on the iPad and I'm going to have Detective Howard uh, use the pinch and zoom feature on the iPad to zoom in on the area. Your Honor, I'm going to this and I'd like to be heard outside the presence of the jury. After the jury leaves the courtroom, defense attorney Mark Richards articulates his objection. Your Honor, I don't know what the state's going to do next, but I suspect that it's something along the lines of they're going to use the iPad and Mr. Binger was talking about pinching the screen. iPads, which are made by Apple, have artificial intelligence in them that allow things to be viewed through three dimensions and logarithms. A logarithms, I don't understand it all either. Um, and it uses artificial intelligence or their logarithms to create what they believe is happening. So this isn't actually enhanced video. This is Apple's iPad programming creating what it thinks is there not what necessarily is there. And I don't know what's gonna happen, but we had this video enhanced. We have testimony regarding it. And this is one of the topics that came up. I asked my expert, I said, do you know of anything that does something like that? Because that was when Detective Antaramian testified about pinching his telephone. And that's what I was told. And that's what I think this is going. And I don't think that it's appropriate. It's, it's wrong. Prosecutor Binger offers his response. Your Honor, I think everybody in, the in this room has a smartphone, whether it's an Apple iPhone or some other device. And I think uh, we've all taken a photograph or a video at one point or another and used the, the pinch to zoom in feature. This is a common part of everyone's everyday life. Um, in the olden days, you had a photograph and a, and a magnifying glass, right? That doesn't change the photograph. When you use a magnifying glass to look at words on a paper or a photograph, the magnifying glass doesn't change the image. It doesn't change the pickles, pixels on the paper. It doesn't change the words in the book. All it does is make them easier to see. The pinch and zoom feature on the iPad or the iPhone or Android phone, whatever device everyone in this room has, does that exact same thing. Now, if counsel has an expert who will say that this is unreliable or distorting the image or something along those lines, even though this is something everybody in this room has done with countless videos and photos throughout the last 20 years, 10 years of our lives here, um, this is a fact, this is a feature of everyday life in America now with smartphones. If they want to have an expert come in and say it's unreliable and you can't believe what's on that screen, they can do that. Judge Schrader's decision here is stunning. Well, I don't know. When I put the magnifying glass up, then it's enlarging the image. It is not altering the image. What he's saying, and I think, and I, bless, I know less than anyone in the room here, I'm sure about all this stuff, but uh, I'm hearing him to say that they're actually artificially inserting pixels into there, which is altering the object which is being portrayed. And so, you know what, I, I myself, when confronted with these changes in technology, 
what I usually do is to have to admit the evidence, but uh, make sure that the finder of fact is aware of the fact that it is not the original image and the method by which it's been enhanced. Uh, you're suggesting that I should make the defense bring in an expert for it. My, my thought would be that actually you're the one who's offering the exhibit, so you should be in a position to offer evidence uh, as to the fact that it is not distorting the uh, object which is depicted. We have been very tough on Prosecutor Thomas Binger in this podcast, but the judge's credulous response to the defense objection here is quite startling in its ignorance of how digital technology works. Binger tries to muster a response. The defense has taken videos and photos and cropped them, zoomed in on them uh, on many exhibits in this trial. And this is, again, like I said, the magnifying glass is not changing the image. What the expert testified to about his software program was that he uses, I think he called it AMFAR5 or something like that. It was, a, it was a software program he was using to create the additional images or the exhibits that were introduced with regard to this drone video. And he talked about what that software program does. He was not talking about the, the common, ordinary, everyday pinch and zoom feature on the Apple. There are two different things, Your Honor, and I want to be precise about this because I don't think it's fair to equate the technical video editing software used by the crime lab with pinching and zooming on an iPhone. They're, they're different software programs, different procedures, and I don't think it's fair to extrapolate this. The, every one of those jurors is familiar with this process. This is a, a, a fundamental part of our lives nowadays. It's much like 100 years ago, people used magnifying glasses. This is no different than that. And if I think this is common knowledge, and I don't think I need any sort of expertise on this issue. If the defense wants to quibble with it, they have an expert who can offer testimony. But the exhibit's already in evidence. It would be well, first off, well, first off, a, a photograph of it, and then and then holding up an, uh, an enlargement. I mean, we had a guy coming yesterday with Walgreens prints. I mean, this is this is what is done with photographs all the time. There's enlargements done in the lab. It doesn't change the pixels. No, 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 no. You you know. I don't want to hear about what happened earlier in the trial that came in without objection. If you didn't object, then I didn't address it. Now, I'm not going to police this case, so everybody, anytime somebody wants to put some evidence in, I'm going to say, well, wait a minute, what about that? What about that? I have to have an objection. I get an objection, and then I rule on it. There has been no objection during this trial when either side has exploded an image or, or anything like that. If you'd have brought in an objection, if he'd have brought in an objection, I would have ruled on it. But to, to say now, well, this has already been done during the trial. I've got an objection in front of me now. He's suggesting that the uh, amplifying the image uh, is, uh, is altering what is portrayed, the image which is portrayed, and you're giving me as a defense, it's no different from using a magnifying glass I don't believe that because if I take, you know, the image is the same and all it is doing is improving my poor old vision. Uh, here you've got someone, to correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe the expert that, uh, testified that he had inserted, or the, either the, him or the device, inserted additional pix pixels into the image. That Different program, yeah. I don't know what kind of a program. I don't care what kind of a program it is. The question is, is the 
is the is the image in its virginal state? I, I, I care about what program it is, Your Honor, because these are these are technical issues. Mr. Richards has just made representations with no basis whatsoever. Can you slow down? Absolutely. Mr. Richards has just made technical representations with no basis in this record whatsoever. He is questioning a common part of life that we use, everyone uses, every single day. The expert who testified was talking about a different software program, and it does make a difference. I don't know. Well, then, then if it's going to be an issue, let's Well, let's you're the proponent. Issue. I said before, I'm not going to talk about it further. You're the proponent, and you need to uh, assure me before I let the jury um, uh, uh, speculate on it that it is a reliable method that does, that does not distort what is depicted. And so Judge Schrader does not allow the prosecutor to use the pinch zoom function on his iPad in showing the jury the drone video. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us tomorrow as we conclude our look at the testimony of defendant Kyle Rittenhouse. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.